So hello and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is Joel Harrison. I'm Editor-in-Chief of B2B Marketing. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Andrea Glenn, who's CEO of Ledger Bennett, a leading B2B agency who recently you may have seen has been, it's been announced they've been acquired by global advertising, advertising group Havas. So this is obviously fantastic news for the acquiree and the acquirer, but it's also very interesting for the wider B2B marketing universe um, and or, or global B2B marketing industry um, as the agency world is going through accelerated transformation and consolidation. We're seeing big agency groups and private equity firms muscling in um, and into what was historically, it seems like a moment ago to me when it was more like a cottage industry. So the whole thing is kind of growing up rapidly um, and that's exciting. And that means B2B is hot stuff. That has implications for clients with increasingly thinking global in terms of their marketing and for other agencies in terms of um, who may be looking to understand how best to position themselves, take opportunities for growth and expansion and acquisition, all of the above, perhaps in one fell swoop. Um, so um, Andrea and I, Andrea's going to join us today and we're going to talk, we've got the provocative title of how to sell a B2B agency and we're going to talk through a lot of the things that Andrea learned along the way, Andrea and her team learned along the way uh, and how and what, what led to success in this endeavour. So Andrea, welcome and congratulations. Are you and the team still basking in the glow of success from your acquisition? Yeah, um, I, I, uh, yes. And um, also uh, the honeymoon period will be over pretty soon, I think. So, uh, yeah, it's hit the ground running. I think the um, it's been a really exciting time. I think the the, the whole process was quite lengthy, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So post that, it could, could, could have quite easily been an anticlimax, but it certainly hasn't been. Um, it's really exciting. I think now the deal is done um, and we're thinking about the next phase of our growth. Uh, yeah, life's really exciting right now. Because you just tell them you've just moved in, you've just moved offices into their global HQ. Yeah, we have. Luckily, it was just around the corner from our existing office anyway, so that made life easier. But we've just moved in and um, it's uh, it's a Tuesday and it's buzzing. It's uh, full of people and lots of people within the, the group that have already reached out since the news has been announced and lots of relationships that, that are being forged already. So it's um, it's a really exciting time figuring out how we fit in this this new this uh, this new environment, this global um, network and, and understanding what we can tap into. Um, and what we can bring to B2B. There's a huge, as you know, Havas is a huge B2C um, network. Um, and part of us joining was the fact that they had very little B2B um, expertise, certainly not full service and connected in the way that we are. So um, us being able to, to help our, our clients access all of those services um, through a through a b2b lens is kind of where where this um this deal came from really so yeah it's exciting and um we're just trying to navigate it so um, ask me again in a few months time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was super exciting congratulations to you and everybody it's worth saying as well that just um the you know we're both based in the uk ledger bennett is hq'd in the uk but you're uh, you're very active in the us Havis is obviously a global organization so there's very strong global implications or opportunities from this deal and there's and and you know this is not just a, a uk based agency conversation there's much more wider wider scope for this is that there yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the last seven or eight years, Ledger Bennett's um, really got a, a genuine foothold in the US. Um, and a lot of our business, a lot of our clients are global. A lot of them are US headquartered. So uh, the way that we set ourselves up in Ledger Bennett is as a global business and has been for a number of years now. So that was one of the, um, certainly one of the discussions throughout the process, not just with Havas, but with other interested parties. Um, and interesting how some, some of those interested parties really thought that was a positive and others just 
couldn't um, couldn't really see how we would fit with their organization because they're so siloed in terms of, of regions. So it, it's been yeah it, a, a huge learning curve over the, the, the whole process of how you fit with an organization. Um, making sure you go through that due diligence is, is really important. But yes, it's a global opportunity for us and for Havas. Okay, excellent. So let's wind that back a bit. I want to set the scene a bit. Thank you very much for being so candid, as I know you've always been throughout my conversations with you. The deal's just been announced, but as you indicated, it's been in the offing for quite a while. How long have you been speaking to them for? Um, so first met uh, Patrick, who's the CEO here of us in the UK, um, back in November, December 2022. So first started active conversations in the market uh, just over a year ago. Um, and yeah, met met Paddy, but also um, a lot of other interested parties and kicked the process off then. We we started working with a, an M&A provider, Can Accord, um, who have been fantastic. Um, we didn't really necessarily know where to start the, the process and, and, and how to go about it. Um, and we made the decision working with them to actually cast our net quite wide and and really look at all the options available to us and hopefully get to the to the point where we had we had choice, which we did, unfortunately. OK, so I'm going to come. I, I want to be, I'm going to come back to that process a bit more yeah. because it's fascinating. But let's just set the scene a little bit more. Right. So you personally, because we're talking about about you about the agency, we're talking about you as well. So tell us a bit about you. What's your background? How long? You've you've got a quite a big beat quite a great big B two B track record, haven't you? Because you were at TMP before Bennett, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've been at TMP, um, DMG, um, uh, MOI a little bit as well. So yeah, I I, I mean it's a small world, the B two B marketing industry. We all know each other, all only a couple of steps removed from each other. Um, so yeah, I've been in the industry for about twenty years. Bit of B two C back in the day, um, but predominantly B two B. I'm an agency girl through and through. So it's always been agency side for me. That variety, that fast pace, that excitement, um, and and B two B. I think that that you know us b2b nerds we get excited about those brands that no one's ever heard of but they make the world go round so that's always been um if, if you want to know anything about me in a nutshell that's about it <laughs> yeah that's excellent you just you just planted your flag very firmly in that <laughs> i love i love the yeah b2b geeks the geeks shall inherit the earth as somebody didn't nearly say um and um how long were you at Ledger bennett for um but how long have you been in the organization because you're md and then you ceo is that right yeah, so I actually joined uh, almost 11 years ago, and it was when um, Phil was MD at the time, Phil Ledger, and brought me in to grow the business globally. So they had one location at the time in Milton Keynes, um, were working with some global clients, but it was all out of Milton Keynes, had a desire to open in London um, and also open in the US. And so that was was my role, effectively, to come in and win business in those areas and be able to build out um, the, the agency um, uh, in in those different locations and in those different regions and be able to not just not just scale the agency but be able to understand then how do we how do we adapt our culture um, how do we understand the core of our culture and be able to adapt it for all of those regions and those different clients so that was a uh, that was the first kind of um, uh, reason to join and from there it's just sort of as things as things built and progressed I then moved into the MD role um, and then um, yeah two years ago stood down completely and I took over as CEO which was an interesting part of the, the the journey I think that you know we needed that absolute clarity we had we worked really hard on our proposition and what we thought that our proposition should be 
in, in terms of being disruptive in B2B over the next five to 10 years, where we genuinely felt passionate about where the, the B2B marketing was, was heading. Um, and then we had to sort of organize the business around that. So I started, yeah, nearly 11 years ago. So it's been uh, a, a long time, uh, been yeah, certainly for, for part of the furniture by now. You haven't just 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 breezed in and changed everything and sold it and walked off. You but you've done. You've earned your spurs, well and truly. Absolutely. Um, and and you know you just you you kind of glossed over it a little bit. But Phil Phil Ledger is the Ledger and Ledger Bennett, right? So you're replacing the guy whose name is literally above the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no mean no mean feat. And there's kind of that's has kind of cultural transformation challenges associated with it. Yeah. And you can you can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, definitely. Look, I think. Um... I think the taking Ledger Bennett from being a effectively family run business um, when I joined over 10 years ago into something that was a, a global agency um, that really could deliver global teams um, uh, and not just local teams um, it was a was a huge feat. Um, and it wasn't just me that did it. There's a whole bunch of us that that worked really hard to understand what that culture should be and try to take people along the journey with us. Um, some of which I'm glad to say are still still here and still loving life at Ledger Bennett. Um, but it took a huge amount of change, as all of these things do, when you're fundamentally changing the makeup of the of the business um, and and what you stand for and and how to do business and how to operate. Then yeah, it it's um it gave us a, a, a there were a lot of learnings from that process. I think it's fair to say and bringing in cultures and time zones you know we tried all sorts of things we tried the the you know Europe versus US teams being kind of separate but in a business our size when you're trying to grow and scale um, you can't really operate in silos Um, so what we've always for the last five or six years we've had global teams that work across global clients and from a cultural standpoint that's had a massive massive impact on our ability to to deliver for our clients in all of the the regions and the ways that they need to, and not just having um, client services in in those regions, but and then having a you know a, a core business, but actually having people who are able to deliver on media and creative, um, and web and UX and and all those different areas, as well as client services close to clients and being able to build a, a genuine presence not not satellite sort of teams or offices um so we tried we tried a few things a few of those things i've just described in the early days um and and they didn't work so well um and we've had some great people in those teams along the way but i think that the structure that we have now and that we've had for the last few years works incredibly well so that's that's fantastic thank you and and you use the word culture quite a lot which i think we should come back to later on to talk about what the implications of that because and you also use the word family. You know, you said eligibility was a family business. I think a lot of B2B agencies still kind of act to a certain extent like their families. Um, so, um, but anyway, let's that's come my, That's my pet hate, that term, you know that? Oh, really? Okay, tell me more. Well, I just, I, I the, you know, the idea that you're a family um, when you're actually a business, you know, and, we're, and, and we've got a business to run and um, and business to do. I think the idea of calling it a family, whilst that breeds some some kind of loyalty, I think, culture the, the culture that we create if we have loyalty from from our um our employees and from the people in the business it's because it's a two-way street it's not that we've got this some um, sort of construct of a family that breeds loyalty um unnecessarily okay no that's, that's a that's a very fair perspective i like that okay so let's we talked a lot quite a lot about ledger bennett in terms of who they were 
you know, I, in my notes, I said you're kind of one of the best kept secrets in B2B marketing. Do you do you accept that or does that do you bristle at that? Oh, no, I absolutely accept that. It used to drive me crazy when I first came. I was like, we've, we've got some fantastic clients. We're doing great work, but we never really engaged in that sort of, um, uh, you know, um, promote self-promotion. Um, and that's something that we've really addressed over the last couple of years. Um and, and and continue to do so. But I think, you know, it's really difficult, I think, to sort of engage sometimes on the, the PR circuit and the award circuit when you can be quite cynical about these things. Um, but the reality is if you're doing great work for clients, you need to be able to celebrate that. And that was part of the cultural change and shift, really, that we, the, the business when I first joined didn't really think of themselves, I don't think, in that in that um, arena with those other B2B agencies and was a really well-kept secret, even though they're absolutely holding their own and, and, and had a proposition that was at the forefront of B2B marketing, but there was a whole culture of people not really believing or, uh, or thinking that they were, they, they were at the, genuinely at the forefront because you weren't having that third party recognition. So cultural imposter syndrome, that's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could call it that. Yeah. Um, so what did you do to, I mean, I guess it wasn't, you, as you said, you were there for 10 years, so it wasn't, nothing happened overnight and it, these things don't, but what did you do? Tell me what you did to change that, to get them believing that they were up there with, with, the, with the best of the best. Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, there are some simple and straightforward things to do around um, around things like going out third party awards, third party recognition, um, but also really engaging with clients um, and getting clients to be a lot more vocal about, uh, you know, how great the, 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 the agency is within the agency ecosystem that, that most of our big global clients um, engage with. So I think just getting people to understand um, the competitive landscape and who we're up against and what their strengths are and weaknesses are versus ours to really understand that, that we are part of this community and whether we're up against those competitors or, or not, um, it, it is a community and, you know, we all know each other pretty well and we all complement each other sometimes as well as compete. So I think getting everyone to really lift their heads up and see that we are part of of a of a movement in B two B marketing was part of the um the the challenge, um and that that's it's been slow but we've got there I think. Okay, we're not making very good progress on most of the questions, so I think I have to crack the whip and go grab one <laughs> further. So, uh, but um when you when you started as um as MD or when um and then well, at what point did a business sale become something that was something you were seriously considering. Did you always think, oh, at some point, you know, the exit might be, or there might be an opportunity for me to sell the business, or is it only something that kind of materialised in due course? Um, so I think Phil probably always had one eye on this um, as long as I've known him, but it certainly wasn't um, something that I was working towards. Um, and really what happened was when Phil stood down as CEO and I took took the reins completely um, and took over the CEO role, it was at that point that we started talking about um, the next phase of growth more than anything and what's right for the business. And I've always said, whatever you're doing in terms of leadership in a business, but the, 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 what's right for the business first and then everything else a close second. Um, so it doesn't matter what individuals need or want, it's about what's right for the business. So we started looking at what was right for the, the, the next phase of growth of the business um, and as a result of that it looked like we needed to sort of change the, the shareholding structure and there was an opportunity for us to go and explore different options of you know institutional investment potentially or joining something bigger 
Um, but we didn't really know what that was going to look like. And it wasn't necessarily a sale. It could have been a, um, one of many, many different things. Um, so it was about then really exploring options to see what was right for the next phase of growth um, for the business. Okay. And catalyzed by the opportunity slash requirement for Phil to exit. And accordingly, that was that was the starting point. And then that that kind of snowball is probably the wrong word, but it, it but, took, took on a life of its own. I think it's fair okay. to say. <laughs> All right, that that sounds that sounds great. So, um, so you and then you said earlier on you engaged a a partner. Um, I want to say broker, but I'm sure that's not the right word. But someone who could work who can work with you to start understanding the environment and the opportunities inherent in that. And, and was that that was that the start of your journey or? that was you didn't so when you when you start talking to that company I, I can't remember their name forgive me you that then starts to open up avenues that you didn't necessarily understand or or believe were achievable yeah look I think it was it kind of was the start of the journey really it was um you know any agency leader and owner constantly gets bombarded with requests from from these sorts of people and we went out and interviewed six of the ones that had been bomb bombarding us for a while um kind of thought of the ones that we went with and James Kesner and the team over there have just been fantastic in really under trying to understand what we knew and what we didn't know about the process and helping to guide us through it. And you're right, the word the term broker doesn't do them justice at all. They were most definitely advisors. Um, and, and I can't recommend them highly enough. They they were the ones that helped us to say, well, hey, you could cash your net quite wide here. There's a lot of interest. So in, in this sector at the moment, um, from various different um, different areas, they were really well connected. So they knew where the interest was coming from. And so we just did a, a, a huge amount of exploration and discovery, really. And that discovery process and those early conversations were incredibly insightful. Um, they weren't as, in, as insightful as the, the, the secondary conversations. And, and, and the more you dig in, the more you start to realize, you know, the, when the sizzle wears off, you start to realize what what um, what the opportunities with each of those potential partners uh, really is but they did a great job of helping us to um to really understand the landscape and understand what options might be available to us um and and uh, that helped us to narrow things down and really understand what was right for the business in the in the, the for the next five to ten years really okay so and and as you intimated earlier on they weren't have us weren't ultimately the only interested parties you had conversations with a number of parties can you tell me how many you had serious conversations with my god i can't even i've lost count there were so many um there's so much interest in this sector right now which is really exciting um there were so many conversations that we had and we had a lot of interest um private equity are as we know are circling this sector and there's a lot of lot of activity going on with those guys we had some really interesting conversations every private equity um uh, organization you speak to they all try and tell you that they're different and then everyone says they're not different but actually my experience was that they all had different ways of operating some you know were preferred to be minority so others majority some were trying to build something crazily big um and some were you know thinking about really backing the management team and and looking at how they could really back you to build your vision but of course you know they've all ultimately got the same objective um and and the 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 same the same multiples that they're after over the same time period but the way that they go about doing that is actually quite different um and which i was quite surprised at so that was interesting some of the p backed groups that we spoke to 
um, really interesting, all very different than what, what they're trying to build. Although some of them, sadly, I've, I got the sense that, you know, a couple of years ago when they might have been sat in my position having these initial conversations, they must have had a vision of what they wanted to build because that's what the, the, you know, private equity bought into. But a couple of, fast forward a couple of years and they're talking to me and they can't actually articulate that anymore because, you know, they're, they're, there's all sorts of other pressures around what they're trying to build and under what time frame. Um, so I found that quite uh, quite interesting. It didn't put me off private equity uh, and the buy and build scenario, but it was a bit of a red flag to me that said, if you go down that route, you absolutely need the right partner. So you can make sure that in a few years time, you're still building that vision. You're not just, you know, bulking up and then and therefore, um, you know, you end up in this endless PE cycle. I mean, trying to sell something to a marketer or a particular agency person, you're going to want the proposition to be pretty clear, right? Because you're going to be a pretty good critic of that. So if they weren't able to articulate it, then I guess that was a, a concern. So um, in terms of the types of groups you're talking to, was it kind of the categories of potential acquirers, should we say? Private equity is one. Agency groups, ad networks, however you describe them, such as Havas was another. Was that the only two categories? Was anybody else? Were you talking to larger agency existing groups that were looking to yes. Yeah, exactly. So P backed groups as well. They were um they were a big category. And again, um globally, not just B2B specific, but you know, B2C and B2B B2B. Um and there were quite a few that we spoke to, um, similar to have asked, where they just had a big gap in where B2B was concerned. So it wasn't just the B2B B2B groups. Um, they had a big gap, they just couldn't they were turning down business. They couldn't deliver B2B. They couldn't speak the language. They could see the opportunity um, and were looking for something special to, to fill the gap. Um, so, yeah, we had some very interesting conversations. Uh, really interesting what some people's, you know, what they're building in terms of their business model and whether that fitted with us or not. Um, and it's really easy because I'm an eternal optimist. So I want to think that I can capitalize on every single opportunity that comes our way. But when you actually have all of these different um, different opportunities in front of you, different bids in front of you from different sources, you start looking at, um, at, at what's the actually the best fit. And you think about your core business and what you're best at. Um, and where you where you want to um, yes add in new skills and capabilities um, and you want to be able to expand your offering but also you don't want to spread yourself so thinly that you're actually trying to change fundamentally change the business model or or try and um, add in new ways of working too quickly and spread yourselves too thinly it was really quite fascinating I say do that discovery phase was was great and then getting down to these are the things that are on the table it was very easy then to look at at, at them all and, and make a comparison and see where what was right for our business and where our business fits best where was the best opportunity there were there were some fascinating conversations that came out of that process um some so you'd have to get me give, give me a few beers and tequilas and i might loosen up and tell you a bit more but not on a podcast i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna hold to that one that was uh, that sounds like a fascinating <laughs> conversation we should have it on um but so uh, it sounds like you're you describing it as a little bit like a child in a sweet shop you know you've got you've got so many options you don't know which to go for what was it about havas then that particularly kind of um made them stand out made that the most compelling opportunity for you Oh gosh, where to start? I mean, they didn't. It's 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 probably easier to talk about what 
you know what the downsides were because compared to the others there just didn't seem to be any and I have to say that's been the majority of the experience so far has been that that you know they didn't have any uh, any full service connected genuine b2b offering globally so there was just a, a whole ton of opportunity that they didn't have an answer to and they wanted to have an answer to um there's a load of clients across the group that they already have they're already working on b2c work with but there's b2b opportunity that they can answer in in pockets but not holistically um so that from an opportunity point perspective it just just you know was was fascinating but also the idea that they have um skills and capabilities in b2c that i fundamentally believe and our proposition has been built around bringing these in is you know b2b is getting more exciting we are seeing b2c cmos coming to b2b and bringing that b2c branding capability advocacy you know uh, e-commerce in, in where we're applicable and have being able to have access to all of those and not trying to build them all organically having access to best in class of those sort of service services, but being able to provide them to clients through a B2B lens and being able to say, we, we speak your language, we understand the complexities of B2B and we can bring these B2C capabilities in. So that was, was, um, was another thing. Um, fundamentally from day one, the culture fit, I think was, um, was a huge, huge thing. And I've talked about culture a lot. You hear me throw that word around, but it's, it's a massive part of why we're successful is that we're really clear about who we are and what our values, our core values are. And when we recruit people, we're really clear about it. It's fundamental throughout the life cycle of, of who we are. Um, and, and, you know, when people work here, their entire career here, it's really fundamental to um to to uh, to our our whole philosophy and so looking at havas and going actually you share our core values um and you live and breathe them in every single conversation and not just the early conversations where they're trying to sell the dream to us but actually as we were working through various phases of the deal and due diligence and even before we got into exclusivity with them but even post that every every interaction um whether it was it was you know through legal due diligence and financial due diligence and all of that very boring stuff um right the way through to having conversations with the team here about the opportunities that they have and how quickly can we can we capitalize on those they were just um the 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 the, the the question they ask constantly is how can we help you how can we help you how can we support you how can we help you to scale help help you to grow and in a sustainable way um so yeah just really culturally aligned and that's been the experience from start to finish so um yeah it's uh it, it i'm not saying we didn't have great experiences with other other potential parties too we had a great short list but harass were just streets ahead in in, in lots of ways Okay, it's more yeah. That's it's really helpful to understand, and and yeah, it's more about the just the consistency of a, of offer and and the fact there wasn't any weak spots. So, talking about culture, because we talked about that earlier on, what does it mean for your for your culture? You've said that you've said that wedge events culture is really important. It's very strong. Have us have got a culture. What? How is that? Are the, what, what does that mean for the future? Are you going to st strive to retain wedge events distinct culture, or are you going to try and merge them together? What What does that look like? So I think it's really easy for us to sit sit together because our core values are are, are more or less the same. Um, we articulate them slightly differently, but they are more or less the same. And I think um, 
the way that Havas operate their village structure actually lends itself really nicely to every agency being able to retain that level of, of, of identity. They know that bringing an agency in um, and trying to change it too much how, can have a negative impact. They know that actually they, they, their philosophy, in, in, I think, is more if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, they, they're bringing in successful agencies and businesses. They know that you know how to run a, a successful agency. They're here to help you scale and grow and they're here to support you do more of the same um, and, and help you accelerate as opposed to try and change you or try and swallow you up. So we did have conversations with with other parties that just wanted to swallow us up and we did have ones that just wanted to be a house of brands and they would just stick you there and and they didn't seem to be that support network but the work that have asked to do around their village structure um globally is 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 so well aligned to to our culture that we fit in and slot in really nicely i think Okay, that's a. I mean, that's a. That feels like a, a holistic answer given the nature of it. And I'm going to ask you a bit more about people in a minute. But just tell me, talk about let's talk about practicalities, right? From the moment when you, how long did it take from the moment where you'd agreed we're going to go with have us? Um, I, I mean, maybe not sign something, but you, but you, you. I guess exclusivity is the point really where you then start to nail it to, to zero in on the due diligence and all that stuff. How long did it take from that moment to the point to last week or or the week before when you officially announced it? Um. Oh, so yeah, because we we signed the deal before. So yeah, it was a few months. Um, it was a, yeah only a few months really. So um, I couldn't tell you exactly off the top of my head, but yeah, it was only a few months. Um, because by that point we got to know each other pretty well. So you know, um, and we'd done a lot of the the groundwork in order to to be able to um to share with them prior to that. So yeah, it was it was relatively quick for a network. <laughs> but, but you that's and that's that's great. It's painless. I imagine it went must have. Well, I wonder if it went faster. It went slow because you're the stuff that's grinding away in the background. Um, did it? How did it? How did it feel when that was happening? Was it anxious or was it collaborative? Or I mean, of course it was collaborative, but was it? But did it feel like it was dragging, or did it feel like it was going smoothly? Oh gosh, you're asking me now. I'm in the honeymoon period. I think at the time it probably didn't feel like it was going that that smoothly. But no, it it. Do you know what? It was really collaborative, and I think. That was another thing. It was every interaction was um, was just really sensible. So throughout that process, and you know, the, throughout the questions and the due diligence and the the negotiations, it was just all very collaborative, very sensible. It was just uh, you tell that, that that these guys want to do business the same way that we do. There was um, and and we got a real sense of that right the way through the process. Okay, there's loads of things I want to ask you, but I'm worried. I'm just mindful of time because we, we so. Um, how did how about tell, tell us about the staff? How did you communicate it with them? At what point did you tell them? And and how did you and how did you explain it? So it was really different. I wanted to tell my God, I was desperate to tell them months months before I actually did. Um, it was so difficult to be sort of cloak and dagger, especially when I was dashing over to Havas every five minutes. Um, so we actually told them. Um, not long before the press release went out because I didn't want to have to tell everyone and then make them stay quiet for several weeks. So we had to do that in line with um, with the press release. So, um, but it, we got everyone together and just kept it really simple um, and talked about the reasons why. Um, and we're still going through that process really of just educating people and talking to people about the opportunity. It's landed really well, um, you know, it, it there are obviously the the sort of day-to-day -day concerns about what does that mean for us in terms of, um, you know, health benefits or contracts, those kind of practical questions. But, but other than that, really, 
everyone's just been really positive and can see the opportunity. Um, people are starting to come into the Havas office now and, and seeing the opportunity to network across the, the group and can see that what we've been trying to build ourselves organically, we can massively accelerate now because, because we're part of something so much larger. So yeah, communicating with the team was, um, was, yeah, went down really well. I think we just tried to keep it simple. We had everyone break out in teams afterwards so that individual um, people on my leadership team could talk to their teams answer any specific questions we put out an anonymous um uh form so that people could ask questions anonymously so that they felt that they could you know have a voice and it's actually so far it's just all landed really positively okay excellent and, and obviously the other group here we've got to tell talk to about this very carefully as well as the the um team and your employees is the um uh, is your customers how did you manage that 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 process yeah, again, um, you know, before the press release went out um, for most of our key clients um, that we could pin down anyway, because um, they're, they're busy people. But yeah, we we uh, tried to do it as close to, to the press release going out as possible. And again, the response has just been, this is win-win for us because we now have access to all of this resource um, and skills and capabilities, but through a partner that we know and we trust and that knows us really well and can help us kind of, um, so they can come to us now with problems that they may have uh, not been not thought we could solve previously and that's already starting to happen only a couple of weeks in so yeah it's um it's 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 been a fascinating process the last few weeks fantastic so a couple of questions left I mean, we're seeing in the b2b agency sector that it's that there's consolidation going on but also the sector is booming right we're still going to we're going to be reporting you know over 100 agencies in our in our league table which is going to be out uh, shortly so it's the highest number we've ever had 110 something like that um and they seem to be thinking global more and more. What do you think the future will look like for agencies? What are the trends that are going to define it? And what are agencies going to need to do to be able to succeed in that environment? Yeah, um, it's interesting. We see, I'm seeing an awful lot more um, of kind of specialist agencies coming. Um, and I, I guess you'll see this in your um, in your report, but a lot more specialist agencies and clients still want, they, they, you know, they want full service, but they also want specialisms within that. And I think that's something that we're really conscious to, to build as part of this next phase of our growth with Havas. I think the agency landscape, we'll start to see a lot more specialist agencies and it'll be interesting to see then as private equity continue to circle and the networks continue to circle that, um, how they start to stitch those together into something that is fully connected because you can't get away in B2B, um, you can't get away from the fact that you have to have all those elements connected uh, in order to give a seamless uh, brand experience and customer experience to, to your client's customers throughout what can be very long lead cycles and customer lifetimes, uh, uh, you know. So I think that connectivity is really important. Um, and, it, and it's interesting, it'd be interesting to see who takes the lead, other than Ledger Bennett and Havas, of course, <laughs> who takes the lead on, on pulling those specialisms together in the right way. Okay, yeah, I think I think there's lots of, lots of truth in that. Final thought, what do you wish that you knew about selling an agency before you started that you know now what do you wish you knew you knew then that you know now how long it takes <laughs> <laughs> i think and i know it, it probably took longer because we put so much effort into that discovery phase and into really getting to know the, the potential acquirers and potential 
partners and investors um, and the different routes that we could have gone down, not just the 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 offers that would end up being on the table, but also the the actual partnership and who you'd be working with and what it might look like. We put a lot of time and energy and effort into that. As a result, we were lucky then that we, you know, fortunate that we had choice um, and that we could choose where we where we ended up. I think, yeah, I wish I'd I wish I'd known just how long it takes to do properly and to do really well. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice is if anyone's thinking of embarking on this process themselves, make sure you start doing it a couple of years before you actually you're actually ready to. There's that prop Chinese proverb about the best time to plant the tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. So um yeah. <laughs> Well, Andrea, congratulations once again to you and the team and to your acquirees at, um, at Havas. Um, I think they said they've got, they've got a great deal on their hands. Well, well, they haven't talked about numbers, but that's that's all good, confidential. Uh, but congratulations to everybody concerned um, and best wishes for the future. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, and thank you for listening. There'll be another B2B Marketing podcast very soon. And goodbye to you wherever you are. <laughs>